Welcome back to another World Audiobooks. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I guess you don't really tune in on a podcast, do you? That's kind of one of those old radio terms that doesn't uh, get used very often anymore, but I like it. I like the the old radio version of things. Anyway, we are getting uh, into chapter 16 here today of The Gods of Mars. Hope you guys are enjoying it. I uh, got kind of an interesting footnote at the end, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, well, let's get into it. Without further ado, I give you the next chapter of The Gods of Mars. Chapter 16 Under Arrest As Carthoris, Zodar, Taj Tarkas, and I stood gazing at the magnificent vessel which meant so much to all of us, we saw a second and then a third top the summit of the hills and glide gracefully after their sister. Now a score of one-man air scouts were launching from the upper decks of the nearer vessel and in a moment more were speeding in long swift dives to the ground about us. In another instant, we were surrounded by armed sailors, and an officer had stepped forward to address us when his eyes fell upon Carthoris. With an exclamation of surprised pleasure, he sprang forward, and placing his hands upon the boy's soldiers, called him by name. "'Carthoris, my prince!' he cried. "'Kaor, Kaor! Hor Vastus greets the son of Dejar Thoris, princess of Helium, and of her husband, John Carter. Where have you been, O oh my prince?' All Helium has been plunged in sorrow. Terrible have been the calamities that have befallen your great-grandsire's mighty nation since the fatal day that saw you leave our midst. Grieve not, my good Horvastus, cried Carthoris, since I bring not back myself alone to cheer my mother's heart and the hearts of my beloved people, but also one whom all Barsoom loved best, her greatest warrior and her saviour, John Carter, Prince of Helium. Horvastus turned in the direction indicated by Carthoris, and as his eyes fell upon me, he was like to have collapsed from sheer surprise. "'John Carter!' he exclaimed, and then a sudden troubled look came into his eyes. "'My prince!' he started. "'Where hast thou—' and then he stopped, but I knew the question that his lips dared not frame. The loyal fellow would not be the one to force from mine a confession of the terrible truth that I had returned from the bosom of the Is the river of mystery, back from the shore of the lost sea of Chorus and the valley of Dor. Ah, my prince, he continued, as though no thought had interrupted his greeting. That you are back is sufficient, and let Horvastus's sword have the high honor of being first at thy feet. With these words, the noble fellow unbuckled his scabbard and flung his sword upon the ground before me. Could you know the customs and the character of Red Martians, you would appreciate the depth of meaning that that simple act conveyed to me, and to all about us who witnessed it. The thing was equivalent to saying, My sword, my body, my life, my soul are yours, to do with as you wish, until death and after death I look to you alone for authority for my every act. Be you right or wrong, your word shall be my only truth. Whoso raises his hand against you must answer to my sword." It is the oath of fealty that men occasionally pay to a Jeddak whose high character and chivalrous acts have inspired the enthusiastic love of his followers. Never had I known this high tribute paid to a lesser mortal. There was but one response possible. I stooped and lifted the sword from the ground, raised the hilt to my lips, and then, stepping to Horvastus, I buckled the weapon upon him with my own hands. Horvastus, I said, placing my hand upon his shoulder. You know best the promptings of your own heart. That I shall need your sword I have little doubt, but accept from John Carter, upon his sacred honor, the assurance 
that he will never call upon you to draw this sword other than in the cause of truth, justice, and righteousness. That I knew, my prince, he replied, ere ever I threw my beloved blade at thy feet. As we spoke, other flies came and went between the ground and the battleship, and presently a larger boat was launched from above, one capable of carrying a dozen persons, perhaps, and dropped lightly near us. As she touched, an officer sprang from her deck to the ground, and advancing to Horvastus, saluted. Contos Khan desires that this party whom we have rescued be brought immediately to the deck of the Exvarian, he said. As we approached the little craft, I looked about for the members of my party, and for the first time noticed that Thuvia was not among them. Questioning elicited the fact that none had seen her since Carthoris had sent her thoat galloping madly toward the hills in the hope of carrying her out of harm's way. Immediately, Horvastus dispatched a dozen air scouts in as many directions to search for her. It could not be possible that she had gone far since we had last seen her. We others stepped to the deck of the craft that had been sent to fetch us, and a moment later were upon the Xvarian. The first man to greet me was Kantos Khan himself. My old friend had won the highest place in the navy of Helium, but he was still to me the same brave comrade who had shared with me the privations of a Wahoon dungeon, the terrible atrocities of the great games, and later the dangers of our search for Dejah Thoris within the hostile city of Zodanga. Then I had been an unknown wanderer upon a strange planet, and he a simple padwa in the navy of Helium. Today he commanded all Helium's great terrors of the skies, and I was a prince of the house of Tardos Mors, Jeddak of Helium. He did not ask me where I had been. Like Horvastus, he too dreaded the truth, and would not be the one to wrest a statement from me. That it must come sometime he well knew, but until it came, he seemed satisfied to but know that I was with him once more. He greeted Carthoris and Tars Tarkas with the keenest delight, but he asked neither where he had been. You do not know, John Carter, he said to me. How we of Helium love this son of yours. It is as though all the great love we bore his noble father and his poor mother had been centered in him. When it became known that he was lost, ten million people wept. What mean you, Kantos Khan? I whispered, by his poor mother, for the words had seemed to carry a sinister meaning which I could not fathom. He drew me to one side. For a year, he said, ever since Carthoris disappeared, Dejah Thoris has grieved and mourned for her lost boy. The blow of years ago, when you did not return from the atmosphere plant, was lessened to some extent by the duties of motherhood, for your son broke his white shell that very night. That she suffered terribly, then, all Helium knew, for did not all Helium suffer with her the loss of her lord? But with the boy gone, there was nothing left, and after expedition upon expedition returned with the same hopeless tale of no clue as to his whereabouts, our beloved princess drooped lower and lower, until all who saw her felt that it could be but a matter of days as she went to join her loved ones within the precincts of the valley door. As a last resort, Moors Kajak, her father, and Tardos Moors, her grandfather, took command of two mighty expeditions, and a month ago sailed away to explore every inch of ground in the northern hemisphere of Barsoom. For two weeks no word has come back from them, but rumours were rife that they had met with a terrible disaster, and that all were dead. About this time, Zat Eras renewed his importunities for her hand in marriage, 
He has been forever after her since you disappeared. She hated him and feared him, but with both her father and grandfather gone, Zat Aras was very powerful, for he is still Jed of Zodanga, to which position, you will remember, Tardos Moors appointed him after you had refused the honor. He had a secret audience with her six days ago. What took place, none knows, but the next day, Dejar Thoris had disappeared, and with her had gone a dozen of her household guard and body servants, including Sola, the green woman, Tars Tarkas's daughter, you recall. No word left they of their intentions, but it is always thus with those who go upon the voluntary pilgrimage from which none returns. We cannot think aught, then, that Dejar Thoris has sought the icy bosom of Is, and that her devoted servants have chosen to accompany her. Zat Aras was at Helium when she disappeared. He commands this fleet, which has been searching for her since. No trace of her have we found, and I fear that it be a futile quest. While we talked, Horvastus's flyers were returning to the Xverian. Not one, however, had discovered a trace of Thuvia. I was much depressed over the news of Dejah Thoris's disappearance, and now there was added the further burden of apprehension concerning the fate of this girl, whom I believed to be the daughter of some proud Barsoomian house, and it had been my intention to make every effort to return her to her people. I was about to ask Kantos Khan to prosecute a further search for her, when a flyer from the flagship of the fleet arrived at the Xverian, with an officer bearing a message for Kantos Khan from Eris. My friend read the dispatch, and then turned to me. Zat Aris commands me to bring our prisoners before him. There is naught else to do. He is supreme in Helium, yet it would be far more in keeping with chivalry and good taste were he to come hither and greet the saviour of Barsoom with the honours that are his due. You know full well, my friend, I said, smiling, that Zat Aris has good cause to hate me. Nothing would please him better than to humiliate me and then to kill me. Now that he has so excellent an excuse... Let us go and see if he has the courage to take advantage of it. Summoning Carthoris, Taj Tarkas, and Zodar, we entered the small flyer with Kantos Khan and Zat Aris's officer, and in a moment were stepping to the deck of Zat Aris's flagship. As we approached the jet of Zodanga, no sign of greeting or recognition crossed his face. Not even to Carthoris did he vouchsafe a friendly word. His attitude was cold, haughty, and uncompromising. Kaor Zat Aris. I said in greeting, but he did not respond. Why were these prisoners not disarmed? He asked to Kantos Khan. They are not prisoners, Zat Aris, replied the officer. Two of them are of Helium's noblest family. Tars Tarkas, Jeddak of Thark, is Tardos Moor's best beloved ally. The other is a friend and companion of the Prince of Helium. That is enough for me to know. It is not enough for me, however, retorted Zat Eris. More must I hear from those who have taken the pilgrimage than their names. Where have you been, John Carter? I've just come from the Valley Door and the land of the Firstborn, Zat Eris, I replied. Ah, he exclaimed in evident pleasure. You do not deny it, then. You have returned from the bosom of Is. I have come back from a land of false hope, from a valley of torture and death. With my companions, I have escaped from the hideous clutches of lying fiends. I have come back to the Barsoom that I saved from a painless death, to again save her, but this time from death in its most frightful form. 
Cease, blasphemer! cried Zot Eris. Hope not to save thy cowardly carcass by inventing horrid lies to— But he got no further. One does not call John Carter coward or liar thus lightly, and Zot Eris should have known it. Before a hand could be raised to stop me, I was at his side, and one hand grasped his throat. Come I from heaven or hell, Zot Eris, you will find me still the same John Carter that I have always been. Nor did ever man call me such names and live without apologizing. And with that, I commenced to bend him back across my knee and tighten my grip upon his throat. Seize him, cried Zot Eris, and a dozen officers sprang forward to assist him. Kantos Khan came close and whispered to me, Desist, I beg you. It will but involve us all, for I cannot see these men lay hands upon you without aiding you. My officers and men will join me, and we shall have a mutiny then that may lead to the revolution. For the sake of Tardos, Moors, and Helium, desist. At his words, I released Zot Eris, and, turning my back upon him, walked toward the ship's rail. Come, Kantos Khan, I said. The Prince of Helium would return to the Xverian. None interfered. Zot Eris stood white and trembling amidst his officers. Some there were who looked upon him with scorn and drew toward me, while one, a man long in the service and confidence of Tardos Moors, spoke to me in a low tone as I passed him. "'You may count my medal among your fighting men, John Carter,' he said. I thanked him and passed on. In silence we embarked, and shortly after stepped once more upon the deck of the Xverian. Fifteen minutes later, we received orders from the flagship to proceed toward Helium. Our journey thither was uneventful. Carthoris and I were wrapped in the gloomiest of thoughts. Kantos Khan was somber in contemplation of the further calamity that might fall upon Helium should Zat Eris attempt to follow the age-old precedent that allotted a terrible death to fugitives from the valley door. Tars Tarkas grieved for the loss of his daughter. Zodar alone was carefree, a fugitive and outlaw, he could be no worse off in Helium than elsewhere. Let us hope that we may at least go out with good red blood upon our blades, he said. It was a simple wish, and one most likely to be gratified. Among the officers of the Xverian, I thought I could discern division into factions ere we had reached Helium. There were those who gathered about Carthoris and myself whenever the opportunity presented, while about an equal number held aloof from us. They offered us only the most courteous treatment, but were evidently bound by their superstitious belief in the doctrine of Dor and Is and Chorus. I could not blame them, for I knew how strong hold a creed, however ridiculous it may be, may gain upon an otherwise intelligent people. By returning from Dor, we had committed a sacrilege. By recounting our adventures there, and stating the facts as they existed, we had outraged the religion of their fathers. We were blasphemers, lying heretics. Even those who still clung to us from personal love and loyalty, I think did so in the face of the fact that, at heart, they questioned our veracity. It is very hard to accept a new religion for an old, no matter how alluring the promises of the new may be. But to reject the old as a tissue of falsehoods, without being offered anything in its stead, is indeed a most difficult thing to ask of any people. Kantos Khan would not talk of our experiences among the Therns and the Firstborn. It is enough, he said, that I jeopardize my life here and hereafter by countenancing you at all. Do not ask me to add still further to my sins by listening to what I have always been taught was the rankest heresy.
I knew that sooner or later a time must come when our friends and enemies would be forced to declare themselves openly. When we reached Helium, there must be an accounting, and if Tardos Moors had not returned, I feared that the enmity of Zot Eris might weigh heavily against us, for he represented the government of Helium. To take sides against him were equivalent to treason. The majority of the troops would doubtless follow the lead of their officers, and I knew that many of the highest and most powerful men of both land and air forces would cleave to John Carter in the face of God, man, or devil. On the other hand, the majority of the populace unquestionably would demand that we pay the penalty of our sacrilege. The outlook seemed dark from whatever angle I viewed it, but my mind was so torn with anguish at the thought of Dejah Thoris that I realize now that I gave the terrible question of Helium's plight but scant attention at that time. There was, always before me, day and night, a horrible nightmare of the frightful scenes through which I knew my princess might even then be passing, the horrid plant man, the ferocious white apes. At times I would cover my face with my hands in a vain effort to shut out the fearful things from my mind. It was in the forenoon that we arrived above the mile-high scarlet tower which marks greater helium from her twin city. As we descended in great circles toward the navy docks, a mighty multitude could be seen surging in the streets beneath. Helium had been notified by radio aerogram of our approach. From the deck of the Xvarian, we four, Carthoris, Tars Tarkas, Zodar, and I, were transferred to a lesser flyer to be transported to quarters within the Temple of Reward. It is here that Martian justice is meted to benefactor and malefactor. Here the hero is decorated, here the felon is condemned. We were taken into the temple from the landing stage upon the roof, so that we did not pass among the people at all, as is customary. Always before, I had seen prisoners of note, or returned wanderers of eminence, paraded from the gate of the Jeddaks to the Temple of Reward, up the broad avenue of ancestors, through the dense crowds of jeering or cheering citizens. I knew that Zat Eris dared not trust the people near to us, for he feared that their love for Carthoris and myself might break into a demonstration which would wipe out their superstitious horror of the crime we were charged with. What his plans were, I could only guess, but that they were sinister was evidenced by the fact that only his most trusted servitors accompanied us upon the fly to the Temple of Reward. We were lodged in a room upon the south side of the temple, overlooking the Avenue of Ancestors, down which we could see the full length to the gate of the Jeddaks five miles away. The people in the temple plaza and in the streets for a distance of a full mile were standing as close-packed as it was possible for them to get. They were very orderly, there were neither scoffs nor plaudits, and when they saw us at the window above them, there were many who buried their faces in their arms and wept. Late in the afternoon, a messenger arrived from Zat Aris to inform us that we would be tried by an impartial body of nobles in the great hall of the temple at the first zode on the following day or about 8.40 a.m. Earth time. Footnote. Whenever Captain Carter has used Martian measurements of time, distance, weight, and the like, I have translated them into as nearly their equivalent in earthly values as is possible. His notes contain many Martian tables and a great volume of scientific data, but since the International Astronomic Society is at present engaged in classifying, investigating, and verifying this vast fund of remarkable and valuable information, I have felt that it will add nothing to the interest of Captain Carter's story, or to the sum total of human knowledge, to maintain a strict adherence to the original manuscript in these matters, while it might readily confuse the reader and detract from the interest of the history. 
For those who may be interested, however, I will explain that the Martian day is a trifle over 24 hours 37 minutes in duration, Earth time. This, the Martians divide into ten equal parts, commencing the day at about 6 a.m., Earth time. The zodes are divided into 50 shorter periods, each of which in turn is composed of 200 brief periods of time, about equivalent to the earthly second. The Barsoomian table of time, as here given, is but a part of the full table appearing in Captain Carter's notes. Table 200 tals, 1 zot. 50 zots, 1 zode. 10 zodes, 1 revolution of Mars upon its axis. Man, you gotta hand it to Edgar Rice Burroughs. He was uh, quite quite the brain to come up with all this stuff and all this Martian things. I don't know how much research he put into like figuring out actual time and cycles of Martian planet and all that sort of thing, but uh, definitely interesting. So uh, anyway, I hope you guys are enjoying the book. If you are, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me a, uh, a note. Uh, also, I'm publishing a ton more content on the YouTube channel, so if you haven't checked that out, go to uh, anotherworldaudiobooks.com and you can uh, find the link to YouTube right there and check it out. And give me a subscribe i'm already up to over 100 which is uh coming right along if i do say so <laughs> if it's for a small youtube channel that i haven't put a lot of time in I'm, it's pretty good uh, the podcast is definitely um definitely the focus and will continue to be the focus but i would like to grow the youtube side of things too because it's uh it's another way to reach more people with awesome free audiobooks so if you want to support the podcast that's the best way to do it is just tell other people about what's going on here tell them you know get free awesome audiobooks and for free free so thanks for listening and uh thanks to our patrons for supporting the podcast you guys make this possible if you want to become a patron there's some awesome perks uh some merchandise all that sort of things go check it out anotherworldaudiobooks.com and uh yeah hope you guys have a great week talk next week bye another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.